Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of On My Mind. I'm Shelley Griffith, and today I'm extremely pleased to have as my guest Dr. Carly Jacobs, a doctor of audiology who is actually my personal audiologist and has helped me greatly with some of my hearing issues over the last few months. And we're excited to have you with us today, Carly. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start out, if you will, with a little bit of your background, like I do with most of my guests. Tell us where you're from originally and how you have come to be in the Tennessee area. So I was born and raised in a small town called New London, Minnesota. I did my undergrad in Minnesota, went to grad school in Wisconsin, and during my final year of grad school, I had to complete an internship for a year. So I decided to apply all over the United States and ended up here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Great. And we're definitely glad to have you. And I know that the folks here uh, with the Farragut ENT group are just delighted to have you. Tell us, if you will, and you and I have chatted about this, the actual route to your doctoral degree. It's it's pretty involved. Mm-hmm. So the uh, Doctor of Audiology program is an eight-year program, four years of undergrad, four years of grad school. Um, Your undergrad degree is in communication sciences and disorders. So that would be speech pathology classes and audiology classes since they overlap each other. Then as you go into grad school, that's when you get separated. So speech pathology is a master's degree, audiology is a doctorate degree. With the program itself, um, it's different with every school, but at my school, University of Wisconsin, Stevens Point, I was doing on-campus clinic and more so classwork the first two years. During your third year of grad school, they send you off campus and you start rotating every semester. The classwork becomes less and less. And then during your fourth year, it is a complete internship where you apply, just like I said. You can go wherever, just based off your preferences, if you're interested in pediatric, in adult, in balance disorders, anything like that. And then from there, you take your career and that's what happens. What led you into the area you're in now? And and tell me, how many years have you been out doing this clinically? So I didn't really have a reasoning behind choosing Tennessee. I decided I'm single, I'm young, move somewhere random for a year. I'd only lived in the Midwest. I thought it would be a good opportunity to just kind of experience something but not have to be committed to a location. I ended up liking Tennessee so much, a lot due to the weather, um, also the views, and it just kept me here. I graduated in May of 2021. So this will be coming up on my two years with the company I'm currently at. Well, I think, so if I understand, you can move around. They can assign you to different locations, I guess. And and that I found in in specialties like physical therapy and all uh, for the younger practitioner is great. You, You get those opportunities. And yes, our winters are clearly better than Wisconsin. <laughs> being being born in Iowa and, and living in Michigan for a while, I understand where you're coming from with that. Now, basically, your role as an audiologist, take us kind of through a typical day for you. Mm-hmm. So audiology, when I describe it to people, I say I'm your hearing doctor. It includes hearing, balance, 
and auditory processing. For me, I am more interested in the hearing aspect of it. I'm more interested in hearing aids as the amplification. However, you can also be dealing with cochlear implants, bone anchored hearing aids, other devices like that. Now, tell me, Carly, prior to you actually seeing us, is it required that someone who calls in for an appointment see the ear, nose, and throat specialist first and then you come into play? Is, is it? It's not required. Some patients see ear, nose, and throat because they think, oh, I have wax in my ear. I need that removed. That's why I cannot hear. They'll look in the ear. They'll say, that's not the problem. We need to send you to audiology. From there, we look at the bigger picture. Do you have fluid behind your eardrum? Is there a hole in your eardrum? Is there nerve damage? What is the situation with the hearing? So sometimes patients see me first and I have to refer them to ENT because something looks unusual with the hearing test. Other times they see ENT and they get referred to me because they know that it's not just wax. Now, you had an interesting conversation with me when I first came about your own experiences as a child with hearing. And if you don't mind sharing with the audience, I would appreciate it. Yeah. So I was born with hearing loss, or they assume I was born with hearing loss. Uh, Nothing can be confirmed because... I did not have a newborn hearing screen. A couple years later, those became more enforced and they were able to catch newborns with hearing loss. But my hearing loss was detected when I was around three or four years old, my preschool hearing screening. Now, hearing loss does not run in my family, so my parents never suspected that that would be a problem for me. I was always shy and I had a lot of ear infections. That was my mom's take on it. However, it all makes sense. Those are some red flags with children. Anytime you have recurrent ear infections or maybe a speech delay, lack of speech development, then you have to look at the hearing aspect of it, and it's more apparent now. But I was fit with my first pair of hearing aids when I was going into second grade. Why there was a big gap between the detection and the actual fitting of the hearing aids, my family doesn't know that either. But that would not happen today. From the detection of the hearing loss, you want to be fitting that child with hearing aids within three to six months. You do want, do not want to have that gap. But yeah, so I wore hearing aids from age seven up. I was never very good about wearing them. I was definitely the child that uh, I took them out for recess. I took them out for gym. I took them out when I got home from school. You would never catch me wearing them in the summer. And my parents yeah. didn't enforce it too much because they knew how much I hated them. And I think it was just the difference. Growing up in a small town, I didn't like being the one that was different from the rest of the kids. And also at that time, hearing aids were much bigger and bulkier and much easier to see. So uh, I really hated that too. (laughs) I actually did not start wearing my hearing aids until I was 19 and I was a senior in college. And that is because I just, I didn't want to be different than anyone else. What made me start wearing them was the fact that I was in my program. I was near the end of my program. I knew I was going into grad school. And I knew that I was going to have to tell patients to wear their hearing aids. (laughs) How was I supposed to tell them to wear their hearing aids if I did not wear my own? Exactly. (laughs) So that's my journey with my hearing aids. Wow. That's great. And yes, you're right, even even as old folks don't want to wear them all the time either, so I do understand. Now, is there a number kind of 
based on that, that's excellent. And I was grandchildren, of course. Uh, is there sort of a percentage of young people preschool that you could say have hearing deficits that will affect them in school? See, and it's hard because kids are so much more prone to having fluid behind their eardrums or ear infections, which is a temporary hearing loss. That can be solved with antibiotics or tubes in the ears. Most of the time, kids grow out of that, but they can have speech delays due to that. Other times, there is actual nerve damage, the permanent type of hearing loss that kids will experience, but most of the time with children, it is just that the fluid behind the eardrum or any sort of, we call it a conductive hearing loss. And as you as you get older, that's a great point about, you know, folks not wanting to do that. And that leads me to the question that I think I even asked you when I first came about the technology advances. So many of my friends have the larger hearing aids and the batteries and all of this, and I think I was asking about the new technology that that I absolutely love now. Share with us that development. Like, when did it start maybe to get easier to use remote control devices, all of that sort of stuff? Mm -hmm. I know that when I entered grad school in 2017, Bluetooth and rechargeability started becoming more popular in hearing aids. Hearing aids became a lot smaller. They changed how the speaker sits in the ear. It used to sit on top of the ear. Now it sits in the ear canal. Makes it sound more natural. Rechargeability has been a huge improvement. I mean, a lot of people will say, I don't want to get hearing aids. I don't want to change out batteries, which as a previous battery hearing aid user, (laughs) I was very bad at it too. It's annoying. It is something that can just really drag you down sometimes. You always have to have batteries on you. It becomes a lot. Then they came out with Bluetooth and the hearing aids. So what that means is you can have an app on your phone to control the volume and other settings of the hearing aids if you want to. You also have that option to adjust the hearing aids using buttons on the back, but some people aren't comfortable going about that. Also, with the um, Bluetooth, you get streaming capabilities. So depending on what kind of smartphone you have or if you have a smartphone, you may be able to stream phone calls into your hearing aids which can help with clarity, helps so you don't have to turn up the volume and everyone else has to hear your conversation too. And then just like little fun things, like they kind of act like headphones. Um, music, videos, any games you play on your phone, that's going to go into your hearing aids now instead of out loud where everyone else can hear them. Well, that's excellent because I have tried, as you had pointed out to me, and I play music with some groups occasionally and, and do not use the hearing aid and yet... The last time, it was interesting, I did what you pointed out about the music app mm-hmm. on the hearing aid, and it worked beautifully. It was, it was very natural. I uh, could turn it down, and so for me individually, and, and many of my friends have asked me since I started seeing you about this, how can I change over? I mean, can I? And that's a question I have. If, if say, I had a hearing problem, started with hearing aids eight or nine years ago, can those people normally change over to the new technology or that's going to be dependent on the reason for the hearing problem? So it depends on the person. Some people are very used to what they had. They like that. A lot of people, when they do change into the new technology, they say it's much clearer. 
there's not as much background noise, it just sounds more natural. Every time they come out with a new hearing aid, they make the sound processing better, they try to reduce the background noise, and they just try to make little things better, such as like wind noise and little sounds that are obnoxious, what you need to hear. With every advancement in technology, they try to help and try to take those down. Um, some patients that have worn hearing aids for a long time are used to hearing everything all the annoying sounds, all the sounds they want to hear. So when they get switched into better technology, they find that it's not working as well because they're not hearing everything around them. Sometimes that takes counseling. Sometimes you have to turn off certain features in the hearing aids. Every patient's a little bit different. What? Let's look, Carly, some at before we get to this point. What preventively can you tell our listeners that they need to be thinking about? And I know people talk about all this. They go to the store and they get the plugs and they get the little headphones and all that. But what do you recommend we do at a younger age to begin to prevent some of the later hearing loss? Mm -hmm. So genetics plays a huge role in hearing loss. That's not something we can help. Noise exposure is another big issue. So any noise exposure, whether you're 10 years old, 20 years old, 40, that's gonna cause harm to your hair cells on your nerve. It's gonna weaken them. And that's going to contribute more and more to hearing loss. So my biggest advice would be wear the hearing protection. I know it may not be the most exciting, not the most fun, but it's gonna help you out in the long run. Is there a certain type of, I guess those, those almost look like headphone protectors when we're mowing and as you point out, yard work and so forth. Is there a number or something we're supposed to look at in the store that says this is better than the other one? So I always say that it would be smarter to wear double hearing protection. So you wear the little foam ones that go in your ear canals okay. and then put the muffs over. Now, obviously, when you're at a situation like a concert, you don't want to be wearing that. Um, so then I would advise <laughs> just the little foam guys that go in the ears. Another option would be custom hearing protection. So what's nice about custom hearing protection is you would see an audiologist. We would make an ear mold impression of your ears. We send it to a manufacturer and they send us earpiece that fits perfectly in your ear. What's nice about it is it's comfortable. Um, it's custom for you. It fits one way and one way only. And there are different filters that you can get. So what that allows is for you to still hear surrounding noise, but it attenuates it or it makes it less loud for you. So you're aware of your surroundings without damaging your hearing. Oh, that's excellent. I didn't realize that was even possible. And, and am I correct? And I've only been playing with band groups for about nine or 10 years. And as an old guy losing his hearing anyway, but, but for that kind of thing, when you see these bands performing, or if you go to the concert where everybody's screaming and carrying on, what about those people who play music professionally? We see the gizmos, I guess, in the ear. Mm -hmm. Does that help them, or is that merely picking up the amplification from other members of the band? So I think some of it is helping them. 
you know, trying to block out some of that extra noise around them. And I think some of it's so they can better hear themselves and get a better idea as to how they sound. It's hard to say just by looking at the actual devices, but ideally all musicians should be wearing some sort of a hearing protection because they are the closest to the noise. Yeah, and, and I hate to add this from my audience, but as a harmonica player, they always stick me next to the drummer. <laughs> and so I've learned to stand up and move three feet away, and it helps tremendously. But <laughs> now, when we look at seniors, Carly, when we look at folks, let's say 55, 60, and that's a great point you make about, you know, the protection and so forth, mm-hmm. what percentage of us are going to have hearing loss that would best be served with a hearing aid. Mm -hmm. So I had to look up some facts about this because I wasn't exactly sure. So according to the American Academy of Audiology, 30 to 35% of adults between the age of 65 and 75 years old suffer from hearing loss. Mm. And 40 to 50% of adults 75 and older suffer from hearing loss. So that's a pretty large number. Do you, (laughs) taking that, would you say that your patients now would fit that? I mean, would 40% of the folks that you see be past that age? Or or are we still reluctant sometimes to get the hearing aid? So I would say that a lot of the people I see are within that age range. Now, some people may just have a mild hearing loss, and they may not potentially be the best candidate for a hearing aid at this time. Others are a true candidate for a hearing aid, but there is an acceptance period with telling someone they have hearing loss, letting them accept it, and then talking about hearing aids. Some people aren't as willing to do that. So sometimes you have to have patients come in a year later, you retest the hearing, you let the idea sit in their head, and then you'll readdress that concept again. Well, that brings up a point. What do you find may be the biggest reluctance for us to get a hearing aid. If you tell us, hey, this is going to benefit you, what do you think prevents that? I think a lot of people are stuck on the idea that hearing aids are still big, bulky, beige. They don't want to put something like that in their ear. I think a lot of it, too, is I'm not old enough for a hearing aid. (laughs) And any time a patient tells me that, I say, well, me neither, but here we are. (laughs) Oh, my. Are you... That's right. Are you seeing, I mean, this may be a silly question, do more women wind up getting hearing aids than men, or is it kind of equal or what? So what I have found is women are more accepting of getting a hearing aid because they find conversations more important than men. Men will say, well, it's okay. I don't need to hear that. Hmm. It's interesting. And I think I may have mentioned to you that Finally, my family said, okay, stop. We know you don't hear us. Grandchildren who may be speaking a little louder or less or whatever. And and that drove me in the last number of months to finally say, yeah, I've got a real problem. So, uh, and it's another thing because men I've learned in, in the medical realm, and I say this in almost all of my medical podcasts, that they need to go to the doctor. They need to be seen. For some reason, there is this macho that we don't get sick as easily, and that's just foolish, and it really is. Now, take us, Carly, through the the exam process, if you will, for the audience's sake. We're coming in. 
we're sitting down, you're talking with us, and then we go through the, the booth that most people have been in, and we hear the sounds and all that. But technically, what are you really testing when yep. you do all the little beeps and things? Yep. So the first part of the hearing test, I look in the ears. I'm looking at the um, ear canal. Does it look healthy? Is it a pinkish color? I'm looking to see if there's any wax buildup. And then I'm looking at your eardrum. Is your eardrum healthy color? Does it look like there could be fluid behind the eardrum? Is there a hole in the eardrum? Little things like that. Then the next test I do is a pressure test in the ear. And what that is doing is it's testing the, the movement of your eardrum. If you have fluid behind your eardrum, if your bones are abnormally stiff that are attached to the eardrum, if you have a hole in the eardrum, that's going to show up on that test and that's going to be a red flag for me. Then I put you in the booth. And the first part of the booth is I play different tones for you. I play really low pitch tones, mid pitch tones, and then high pitch tones. And all I'm trying to do is find the quietest volume that you can hear each tone at in each ear. And what that tells me is the degree of your hearing loss. Next, I play words for you. I have you repeat some words. I turn up the volume when I have you repeat those words. And what I'm testing there is your word understanding. So if the volume is turned up based off of your hearing loss, are you able to repeat words back to me? and I test each ear individually to see how sound goes up to the brain and how you process speech. The last part of the test, I place a little headband on your ear. It goes, or it goes right behind your ear and actually wraps around your head, kind of sits on your temple. And for that, um, I am testing your nerve. Hmm. And that part of the test is telling me, is the hearing loss in your nerve up to your brain? Or is the hearing loss in your middle ear, where your eardrum, the bones, where you would get fluid, is it in that part of your ear? And then from there, I'm able to counsel you and tell you what type of hearing loss you have, the degree of your hearing loss, if you would be a hearing aid candidate based off of the words that I had you repeat to me, little things like that. Oh, that's excellent. And if, I don't want to assume anything, but if, say, it's a true nerve loss, am I correct, hearing aids may not help us with any of that if it's a true nerve? So right. if it is nerve loss, um, your treatment option would be hearing aids. Oh, okay. Um, and that's just because there's no surgery that can be done. Now, with certain nerve loss that you get, your word understanding may be very poor. Mm -hmm. So when I have you repeat those words, you may only get 8% of those words correct. Mm -hmm. So at that case, I'll know, okay, if I put a hearing aid on that ear, you're not going to get speech understanding. You're going to get sound awareness, but you will not be able to understand speech very well out of that ear. If it's a middle ear problem with the eardrum, fluid, the bones, that's when I would refer you to ENT. They would take a closer look and see if there's a surgery that can be done to fix the um, middle ear issues. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the surgery is more invasive and they will still recommend hearing aids. Okay, that, that's a good clarification, thank you. How many of your patients say roughly wind up with bilateral hearing aids that they that once you test them mm -hmm. i would say that most people traditionally when they start to develop hearing loss they will develop hearing loss in both ears i like to say your ears are the same age they should be hearing the same some patients 
don't want the idea of two hearing aids right away. Some people are musicians and they want to still use their residual hearing on one ear but have amplification on the other ear for assistance. It really depends. Everyone's a little different. My biggest concern with people only getting one hearing aid if they have hearing loss in both ears is them feeling off balance. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest complaint that people will come in with. Very interesting. And I think you'd mentioned that to me. And so, but then many of us will come back, see you regularly. And then if it's obviously decreasing, then yes. And, and for most of us folks in the audience, these devices are great. And I, I would say never worry about, quote, unquote, what you look like. My device doesn't matter. And it was kind of kind of cute because Carly was matching up the color of the device with my gray hair. And <laughs> I thought, okay, this is fine. <laughs> Red doesn't matter. But, but no, and I think that's really pertinent. Now, regular checkups following, just like me or anybody else, the insertion of the hearing aid. Take us through those steps because that was interesting how you brought this up to a, a 100%. I, yes. I didn't understand that at first until you explained it. Yes, yes. So... When I fit a patient with a hearing aid, I do not put that hearing aid at full volume. And that is because your brain has not heard a lot of these sounds in quite some time. So if you put the hearing aid at full volume right away, you're not gonna like it. It's gonna be too loud, and if it's too loud, you're not gonna wear it. It's gonna end up in a drawer, and that's gonna be the end of your hearing aid journey. I start the hearing aid at low volume, I have you come back a couple weeks later to see how are things going. Some people come in and say, you know, it's going really well. I'm hearing this, I'm hearing that. Um, certain sounds are a little loud at times, but overall pretty good. At that point, I'm going to turn up the volume just a little bit. If someone comes in and they say, oh my goodness, it's so loud, I can't handle this, I always have to turn it down, then we know, okay, we don't touch the volume, we're gonna let it sit, you still have to adapt to hearing those sounds again quickest way to adapt is to wear the hearing aid as much as you can. And every time I see you, it's every couple of weeks within your first 45, 60 days, I will slowly increase the volume because I want to get you at 100% or have you meet targets based off of your hearing loss. It just gives you full audibility of speech sounds. However, some people can't do that within that time frame. I have had patients that have had hearing loss for years and years and it is very severe. And They'll come in and say, I can't do it. In one year, they'll come in and say, okay, I'm ready for that first step of volume. Everyone adapts different, but there is a, an adaption period. You just have to retrain yourself. Well, that's excellent. And, and I can say, folks, that now that I'm at 100%, it's just perfect. And But here's something that I can say and address this, if you will. I forgot it a lot of days. It was not purposeful. Mm -hmm. It was, okay, it's in the charger. It's charging up overnight. It's perfect. And I'd be getting ready to go out and do stuff, and i stay very active. And I'd be out suddenly, you know, in a crowd or at church or somewhere, and I'm reaching up to adjust it, and it's not there. <laughs> Is there any kind of thing for us older folks to sort of remind us? I mean, it's sitting right there where I should be knowing that. And finally, I do. I mean, I really am okay, but is there some little trick? That 
My best trick for you would be put it somewhere where in the morning you're going to see it and put it in your ear, whether that's, you know, by your glasses, by your wallet, by your car keys, somewhere where you're going to go, oh, yeah, I got to put that in too. And, and put it in as you get up then, I'd say. Yes, Because yes. that would be part of mine. I'd be getting ready to go or, you know, I'd eat breakfast or I'd take a shower or something and completely forget it and boom, I'm out the door. But that's right, I'm, I'm doing much better. So, But yeah, folks, it's not going to work much if, if it's still sitting at home in the charger. Now, as you look ahead in your career, because you're, you're young doing this and you're just doing a magnificent job for so many people, what do you help us with this new thing? And I don't want to put you on the spot, but as we know, you can go buy hearing aids at the store now. And, and that, as a, as a retired doctor, that bothers me. And so help us, Carly, understand, help the audience understand why that is really not going to be the wisest idea, even if, even if financially people are struggling. Yes, so you can now buy over-the-counter hearing aids. They are designed for people with mild to moderate hearing loss. Now, by the time people begin to realize they have hearing loss, they're pretty much past the mild to moderate range. They're in the moderately severe to severe range. These over-the-counter devices are, yeah, they're cheaper than the prescription hearing aids, as I would like to call the hearing aids that are fit by an audiologist, but they're also not that terribly cheap. They range anywhere from $300 to $800, $900 still. I have not gotten my hands on them, but to my understanding, you purchase them, you bring them home, and you program them. So you would be doing a hearing test. Um, I'm not sure if it's through an app or through a computer. And then from there, the hearing device is programmed, and you put it in your ear. That, I'm sorry, that just gives me a little shake, you know. And, and even as a medically trained person myself, I would feel totally uncomfortable with trying to do that. No different than doing my own eye exam, say, and saying, oh, sure, here are my glasses. So basically, you know this is going to happen. People are going to buy these, but, and then I suppose when they don't work well, that's really kind of too bad. I mean, they've got the device, and if they come to you then later and say, well, I bought this, not working, didn't program well, so now you help me, well, that's money in a device wasted, correct? Correct, yes, that is money wasted on a device that I cannot program or touch, and you're just out on it. Now, I have had some successful cases with people that have come to me and said, I went and bought the device. It was awful. I did not like it. Now I'm coming to you. Good, good. What do you see, Carly, down the line? I guess, and this may be kind of off a little, I see more people attending these big concerts. I see more people not using hearing protection when they are doing yard work, if you will. I can't tell you how many people I've seen, including friends, no hearing protection at all, running a chainsaw. I mean, this kind of stuff. And and there are just some folks you can't convince of what you said earlier, protection-wise. Do you see maybe there's going to be, in the next few years, an uptick of hearing loss? I feel like 
with all of the headphones, all of the concerts, I think that hearing loss is going to continuously be a problem. And I think audiologists are going to still consistently be needed. Absolutely. Well, it's been delightful being with you, and and I may trouble you for a second episode. A lot of information here. I know the, the listeners today have gotten a lot out of that. Do you want to say anything and wrap up at all? I just want to thank you for having me on here. This is my first podcast. And I'm delighted, and you just did great. This will not be your last podcast, I can assure <laughs> you. But, folks, I do thank you so much for listening today, and, and you're going to get a lot out of this episode. And as we say previously, if you have questions that I can bring back to Carly, all you have to do is email me, shellgriff at gmail.com, S-H-E-L-G-R-I-F at gmail.com. I'll be glad to check with her again and get back to you folks at any time. And as I always say, I hope each of you have a safe and healthy day, and I'll see you a little further on up the road.